ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terra Master, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Joe Bird, welcome to ATV Talk. How are you, sir? Man, I'm doing great, Lane. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Hey, you had a little trouble back there. What, what, what happened? Man, we had some, uh, they said an EF2 tornado, like four or five of them came through this area, and I lost uh, one of my sheds, went up, lost the whole thing, and I lost 47 trees. It was just a nightmare, man. A lot of shingles, lost one of my roofs. It was, uh, we were lucky. We were... We were two, let's say three twenty-seven at night, my, or in the morning a.m. My, my phone goes off, the alarm goes off, and at three thirty it hit. So we didn't have time. I got a storm shelter just outside. We didn't have time to get to my storm shelter. It's that quick and that bad. And the wife, me and Myler, were sitting in a in the hallway and going, "Man, I literally thought the house was going to blow away and the roof was about to go off." <laughs> Funny story. Myler goes, "Can I go get some clothes on? I don't want the fireman to come see me like <laughs> like this." Yeah. I said, you better hurry up. We're about to get blown away. So we we got lucky, and nobody around here got killed. A uh, lot of damage. I had uh, I got almost one hundred thirty thousand dollars worth of damage to the to the property and the fences, and lost like I said one building and you know over my dad's house. It's uh, he lost a huge tree went on his driveway. One hit his house. It, we, we we got some substantial damage, but we're all okay, and we're just been rebuilding ever since. Wow. Wow, that's kind of exciting. Uh, that yeah. exciting. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was very interesting. It was, I'd say it was exciting. Is that the first time anything like that's ever happened? It, it I've had some. I've got uh, seventy-five acres here. The other side of the property, I had a tornado hit just one little corner of it, and it took about ten trees out. But nothing. You know, we just pushed them in the weeds. No big deal. But other than that, we've had just you know, it's danced around us, so and nothing actually is hit here. So when uh, when we first connected this time, you gave me a little tour of some of the property. Yeah. And right now, not everybody's going to be able to see this. When it comes out on YouTube, they will. But 
right now I'm staring there looking at uh, where the magic happens and how you get in shape. Yeah. <laughs> we've had multiple conversations about this, but we've never uh, got deep into the conversation about training, about things that you need to do to be a professional racer or to be a professional athlete at that most. Um, I want you to get a little serious here and let's talk some training um, or preparation, however you want to determine it, to be an ATV racer. I know that it was a long educational process for you. And for you to race as long as you did, you had to perfect it. And I had to change as I got older. You know, and if I knew what I knew at 25 or 21, when I won my first race. Uh, you know, I would have probably got to win more races and been in better shape, you know, because if, if you can you know, train yourself and had to do all the blood work and eat all the, everything right in your twenties, you're an animal. I mean, I was doing it until I was 45 years old and I did decent, you know, in my forties, but you know, I, I didn't reach my peak until I was in my thirties. I actually, I went to school for exercise physiology and physical therapy. So I learned some doing that, but nothing is like on the, on the job training. You know, I, I try this, it didn't work. I eat this, it didn't work. You know, I take blood samples and I do like, you know, talk to my doctors and, you know, you don't know what your body's doing until you actually see it on paper. You know, what, you know, you're lacking magnesium, you're lacking zinc or iron or whatever it may be, you know, so you, you can't just go wide open and train like some of these guys are doing. And there's some guys out there right now that are doing it and they're getting Epstein-Barr virus left and right because you overtrain. You know, it's, you know, overtraining is worse than undertraining. So you really need to learn your body and what works for Joe Bird don't work for any doctor or John Italy or Doug Gust or Joel Hedrick or Chad. Everybody's different. You know, I know Chad's on this weird diet that he's on now that I, I, it's not for me. You know, I'm like totally against his diet, but it may work for him. I don't think it is. He's not doing so good, but it, it may, you know, everybody's different. I'm not picking on Chad. I'm just saying his, his body reacts to different things to my body. And that's one big thing that I had to learn throughout the years, trial and error, because I, I taught myself how to race, how to train, how to all these riding schools is all trial and error. You know, that's why I was in my 30s before I started winning. But, you know, you have to really pay attention to yourself. And these young guys are just going wide open. They need to slow down and, and do the blood work and, and get the right training in. And they'll be just, they'll be studs before they're you know, 25, 30 years old. You know, none of us, like you said, don't last most of the top pro quadrations are in their 30s, you know. And that's because, you know, you have to, it's a big learning curve. You know, it's, you know we're, we're almost like a half a motorcycle and a half a trophy truck all wrapped up in one. You know, it's a lot of setup that goes along with it. And the new kids, the first thing, you know, I talked yesterday about this, the first thing I do in my ride school, I teach bike setup. You know, most of these younger guys, they don't know anything about bike setup. They better not put air pressure tires, you know, so. When you're talking about blood work, do you have a nutritionist, like, or a doctor that you go see a sports medicine doctor or yes. you go to your regular doctor? You can actually do both, but anybody that does, um, you know, you can ask them what you want to do. But a lot, most people do, you know, uh, anything with, um, you know, a lot of doctors are doing these testosterone shots now. That's not necessarily the answer, but anything with, um, you know, where you're checking all your all your levels with, um, I'm trying to think what the, what the word is called. Um, I'll think of it in a minute. But yeah, any doctor can do that, but a sports medicine doctor will, will get a better lab you know, lab chart out on you and know exactly what he, what you need to do. What was your diet restrictions when you were in your twenties compared to your thirties? You know, the, you know, your hormones change as you get older and that's one, one panel, lab panel you really do is see what your hormones are at, your blood levels and all that stuff. 
But far as I've always ate good, except for the last year or so, since <laughs> I retired, I've eaten donuts, you know. <laughs> but I'm just being funny. But um, I've always tried to eat good, but I could eat more when I was younger and get the same results as I had to eat cleaner as I got older. I'd say my 20s and 30s were similar. I just knew I didn't eat as clean in my 20s because I just didn't know anybody. You know, I just ate groceries, you know, out in California, racing to Mickey Thompson and eating whatever I could eat, you know, and, and you're burning everything off. But you're you're not fat, but your blood, it tells a different, it tells a story. So you get more arm pump. You're not recovering as good and you're 25 years old. So you need to do that so your blood's talking to you, you know, and and so when I got into my thirties, I would start doing more blood work. And especially when I got in my forties, I really had to do a bunch of blood work because, you know, you don't recover. Well, it seemed like the day I turned 40, everything went pale. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to ride two days on one day off. When I got to my forties, I'd ride one day on two days off. <laughs> so, but you don't have to ride. It's the quality of training that you have to do. I won a prime championship and Travis Moore was on my team. And I had my, my ex-wife, Heather, and my ex-girlfriend, Adrian. And, you know, I had a bunch of other friends and, you know, uh, Greg Miller and Kirkland Jack, all these guys won championships. Aaron Myers won championships, you know, and Clay Holmes won championships. And, you know, I got a list a mile long, you know, these Argentina champions for here. And what I would do, I would gauge myself off them, you know, like tortoise and hare, they're my rabbit. I let them take off and I, I would pass them. Whenever I'd pass them, they were instructed to skip a section and get back in front of me. So they're pu- pushing hard as they can go. And I'm passing all these guys. You know, we I have 10, 12 guys at a time every day out here training. So it's like we're racing, dropping, you know, we, we drop the gate. We do like 10 practice starts. We come back and we we take off. And I let everybody take off in front of me. And every time I pass them, they were instructed. So everybody's lap time was the same. So it's a two-minute lap time track for me. Everybody else had to be a two-minute lap time track. They may have to miss the whoop section or the tabletop or whatever. But that kept me pushing. kept me driving, you know. And, and when I was thinking, I'm like, there's John Italian from me. There's... Doug Gustin from me. Oh, there's Chad Williams from me. Where's Ketcher? You know, that, those were my guys I was thinking that were in front of me. And we rolled our tails off. We did just half-ass practice. So same thing in a gym. When you're doing jump rope, you're doing stairs, you're running your bike or whatever you're doing. I mean, you don't have to run 10 miles. Who cares? I mean, Lance Armstrong ain't riding motocross and he's shape for his bicycle races, right? So, but run two miles as hard as you can. Ride your bicycle, mountain bike, hard as you can for five miles. Whatever it is, do it with intensity. Know your heart rate. Know your maximum heart rate and stay in that zone at 85, 90% of that zone. That's what you're doing when you're racing. You're, you're wide open for that gate drop. What was your max heart rate? Well, depends on the age. I always try to stay in the 190s, try not to get too past, too far past 205, but I would try to keep that heart rate at 180 to 200. Okay, so if I'm at 140, I'm like, I got to, I got to. Now, sometimes I'll be riding as hard as I can and I'm still at 140, 150 because I'm so comfortable on the machine. I'd rather be. 80% physically ready and 100% comfortable at a racetrack than 100% physically ready and 80% comfortable because your mind is a wonderful thing. It, it plays tricks on you. Okay, I can go out there and if I'm comfortable, the bike's working, I can ride you know, all day long. But it, when, I'm, when I'm not comfortable and I, my, my head's playing games with me, I get tired real fast. You know? So you want to be comfortable on a machine. And I, and you want your heart rate 140, 150, maybe 160. That way you're not getting tired. But you got to train your heart rate, and, and, and what I would do, <clears throat> so the last, when I was in my prime, I'd say 30, probably 39 years old, I couldn't get my heart rate up riding no more. I was so physically fit, I, I, I was 140s, 150 maybe. So what I would do, I'd go hard as I can go with these guys <clears throat> for 30 minutes. I'd, as a matter of fact, I'd split them up. <clears throat> some of these guys would go the first 10 minutes with me, some little second 10 minutes, some little third 10 minutes with me because they couldn't. They couldn't, they wouldn't in my kind of shape. So I would do that, and then I would get off my quad, and I'd just push my quad around the track. 
that got my heart rate up. I'm already tired, sweating, you know, and I take my helmet goggles off and I'd start pushing the car, my boots and everything. You know, so, and I get it done. If that didn't do it, I'd run. So I, I, keep, I would really, really push myself to get that heart rate up. And, and how many days a week did you do that? It, it depends on the, the time of the year, usually four or five days a week. So, you know, you know, if you're racing every other weekend, you come home on Sunday and Sunday was always, always like a cheat day. And at that time, I, I wasn't a pilot, I you know, I, I didn't fly to all the races. I was driving. I was a truck driver. So that was my cheat day. So Sunday on the way home, I'd get whatever I wanted to eat, McDonald's, Burger King, I don't like that food, but you know, whatever kind of junk I want to eat. And then I'd always, <clears throat> Monday was a clean day. Tuesday was stretching day, loosen my, uh, get all my lactic acids flowing. Wednesday, we start riding again. So I'd ride Wednesday, Thursday, take off Friday, Saturday, Sunday, take off Monday, Tuesday. So there's five days. Now, if we had three days or three weeks off for whatever reason, then you still do that two-day split. And so you'd, you'd average out four days. It just depends on how it goes. And in the off-season, it'd be five days because you don't have, you're not racing on the weekend. So I'd start right after Christmas. I'd ride, you know, two days on, a day off, as long as the weather worked out. And all the way till, you know, about, uh, I'd do that for six to eight weeks. It'd take six weeks to get in any kind of shape. So I'd always give myself 12 weeks to get kind of shape. And then I'd start going down south or out to California, wherever I was going to get ready. <clears throat> What okay, bad weather. What do you do? Can't get to the track. What do you do? What I would do, I would do I would do my cardio glide, and one of the best things I really like is my air dive. Okay. And I would do, and I can show you that air dive. It's actually you can see it on point right. There's white. Oh, you can see that white machine over there. Yep. That was one of the best things that I could do to get my heart rate up. What I would do is I would do 60 RPMs for a minute, hard, you know, just I'm going 60. That, that's not real hard. Now I go 70 for a minute, now I go 80 for a minute. I'll do that for 30 minutes. So I'd go, you know, medium, hard, hold the crap, I can't really maintain this. But I got a medium, hard, I do that cycle all the way up down. My heart rate, you know, 200 on that third rep, I'd go back down, go back up. I'd do that for 30 minutes. I'd also do my cardio glide. I showed you that earlier where you're, you're kind of like doing whoops. You're, you're doing like, like and, and I'll have a rolling machine right here. <laughs> I would do the rolling machine. Now, when you do these exercises, like cardio glide, whatever, I have thumb throttles on them, I have clutches on them, all this stuff. So, you know, all those little machines you squeeze and football and all this stuff, and we can't, don't do that. That causes carpal tunnel. You're out there riding like you're going through whoops. You're pushing a thumb throttle, you're doing a clutch, you're doing all that stuff. When I get on a rolling machine, that's another really good exercise because it's, you know, it's about impact. You don't do too much high impact training because when you ride your, your quad, you're high impact training all the time. So you're just going to blow your joints out, right? So you want to do it and have your heart rate monitor and get that heart rate up to, you know, most people's heart rates, 220 minus your age. So if you're 20 years old, 200 is your maximum heart rate. You want to stay in that zone, at 89% zone. So you better be 185 to 200 for 20 minutes, however long you race. Uh, we have a little different background now. We have a national championship trophy and a, and a championship ATV in the background. You'll get to see this on YouTube. It, it's pretty impressive uh, when you get to see all of Joe's uh, keepsakes and memorabilia from his time in the ATV industry. So uh, if you get a chance to to check this out on YouTube, uh, you'll get to see a little bit of it. And you'll, you'll if you go on ATV Talk, he sent us quite a few photos that we've published. Did, did you train with weights at all? Or do you do you push away from the weights? I know I saw some in your gym. I was just wondering. Well, now I'm doing weight. I, I've always loved lifting weights. I just, you know, being I grew up a skinny runt kid, you know, so I always loved lifting the weights. And it helps you move the quad around a lot. But during the season, it's a no-no. Do not touch the weights. Most grown men are strong enough to handle the quad. Now, 
they have to have the endurance to do it for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour long in the race. So weights during the season of for sure. No, no. And I wouldn't touch the weights for at least two months before the season. Only that soon as you get on the offseason, you can hit the weights, but not during the season. It's taboo. Well, did you do much endurance racing by chance? Well, I did cross country. I showed you my cross country bike. I did it for a couple of years. I've done the Bible 1000 a couple of times. I've done some uh, uh, enduros over in Europe. So, but that's not my forte. I just, I did it for fun and just, just to do it. I did the uh, match with me, Doug Gus and Mike Walsh, one of 12 hours of America the first year that came out. So yes, I had done several endurance races, but that's just not, you know, it wasn't, uh, didn't give me the scratch my head, so to speak. I just love the motocross. If if you had to train for that, though, what would you what do you think that you would change? Well, what, how I actually did train because you know I had my own motocross track, and what I did, I, I incorporated my seventy five acres, so I've got a little bit of woods area. So I would do, I would slow my pace down to eighty percent, and I would do our motos. I had stopped for fuel one time. My quad would only do forty three to forty six minutes before I needed fuel without putting a huge tank on it. Right, and I put a little bit bigger tank. This quad right here has a smaller, or a slightly smaller tank that uh, Scott Wright used to smosh me with at IMS. So that was the tank I would use, and I would just ride and know about where I was about to run out of fuel. I stopped and I had to put fuel in it and I'd keep going, but I'd use the motocross track for my training. So and you'd use the motocross track and then an extra long loop for. That's right, because I've got, you know, I've got probably, gosh, it's two miles around the property. I would do probably a half mile just wide open over the hill turn go through some woods come back hit the motocross track so it was about a gosh i say three forty five minute lap times not quite four minutes and that's and that's what you would do if you were going to do any endurance style racing absolutely because you know not too many people have a cross-country track or you know enduro tracks and you can't really go ride some of these off-road parts there's motocross tracks everywhere so I even remember some of the guys that were racing works, you know, I, I know Agnes and Ben and even uh, uh, Josh Kramer that one year when he went, he won 2010, maybe 11, whatever he won. He got a ride. You probably remember him out there racing uh, the, the work series. I would see him in Southern California, him and Corey Ellis were riding uh, uh, milestone and some of these tracks, he would be doing an hour, hour and a half motor for the motocross track. Now, obviously pull back to pace, just a smidge, but that's, that's just the best place to train. Yeah, but you think the motocross track, um, well, Milestone was kind of a, 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 a mild form of motocross uh, in my version. But, I mean, not like some of the stuff that you guys rode on. Yeah. You know, where right. some of the tracks where we train or that, that I've seen them train on uh, out here or down here where I live, it's, it's desert terrain. It, it's desert terrain, hard, rough, and you had to deal with rocks. Just so anybody listening, we are having a little technical difficulty. <laughs> uh, we keep we popping in and out. Uh, Valeria will do her best to make this an awesome episode, which she always does. Um, do you remember um, uh, Don Jones, Clark Jones, no lane suspension, but him, uh, Clark. yo, uh, um, Brant Russell from Yoshimira allowed Doug Gus to go up there to the high desert and Victoria area, uh, by past Atlanta, middle of nowhere. He right. and Doug Gus built the track for Team Suzuki to train on. Well, when I was riding for Yoshimira, he allowed me to go up there when they wasn't there to train 
And you want to talk about a great place to train for enduro. This was just a nasty, whooped out sand, like, you know, you've been a Glamis, that the sand highway, whatever, that nasty whooped out area before you get to the Glamis store. That's what it was like all the way around this track. It was just nasty. That would be the best place if I lived on the West Coast to train. Josh Rowe made a track down in Akatia. Um, and I still go down there to test when I'm testing things and it's brutal. I mean, is that by where, uh, scat truck is? No, it's, we're totally, we're a stone's throw away from the border at that point. Oh, you're dumping down there. Yeah. I, I, where did it? Cause I went, it was, uh, Greg Stewart had a track out in the desert out there. It was, uh, upper California. Cherry Valley or somewhere. He's in Northern. What's California. that? He's in Northern California. Well, you're talking. No, he's not in Northern California. He's in uh, out there in, in L.A. Well, not that north. It's um, San Clemente. No, not a San Clemente. Uh, not Cherry Valley, where it's close to there. What's that little town he lives in? I don't even remember. Gosh, it's but it's right off the right off the ten, I believe it is. So it's not Northern. It's it's south of San Bernardino. I'll think of it in a minute. I, I, I know where you're talking about, but it's it's similar desert terrain. You know, I mean, that's all I've ever got to train in is desert terrain. You know, it's desert loose, sandy stuff. Yeah. Rock. You know, whenever we yeah. raced uh, Glen Helen, all of our suspension uh, testing and tuning went out the window. You go to Glen Helen, you got a whole different setup. Oh, yeah. Of course. I have, yeah. I would run dual rate springs at Glen Helen, 135 pounds. What my, what my rank was at on the front front of my bike and my back was stiffer than normal because the front you just dance across that so you never you never have those g-force you just back that thing in all the turns it was a totally different setup there than anywhere else and i'll tell you something else that nobody knew go, go ahead no you you fire away i got i we, we had a we had a little secret with uh pinsky because we you know rolled for custom access and they the first couple of years they blew give us all the bells and whistles right they, you see some shots here they sang for ten thousand dollars a shock and we, we came out there. We rented Glen Helen uh, on a Monday and Tuesday before one of the, one of the races. And we had beacons set around all the track, like 45 different beacons all around. So we, and we had sensitive shocks that we, we could have, they were, they were smart shocks, if you will. Okay. So when, before we went up Mount St. Helens, I lighted up my front end. And when you went past that beacon, it changed the, the settings in the shocks. Kind of, like, kind of like Formula One stuff. And I'd be real light going up the front end. I come down it, my shock would stiffen up automatically. I go around this one turn, my right shock would stiffen up. So every beacon I'd hit, my shocks, we, we'd have to go test. And what made that shock better in this particular application, whether it's hitting a tabletop or, you know, we'd speed up the rebound coming out of this one turn or we'd slow it down throw it going down Mount St. Helens or whatever it was. We were, and I, I'd get all my lap times before we started. And after we started, I was four seconds lap faster with this setup on there. Of course, it's illegal. You can't have that. We couldn't have those shots to race for the rain rules. But we got our best setting off those shots. And I won the Glen Helen two years in a row. Man, I didn't even know. Yeah, that. No. I didn't know that you guys did that. No, nobody. No, we have so much technology. In that shit. And that's that's where it was. You know, I, I did a lot of work when I was factory Honda, you know, because they allowed me to get whatever sponsors I wanted as long as it was within, you know, reason you know it was tasteful you know i couldn't go get playboy or hustler or something um but 
they allowed me to do that. So I got to go outside the box and hired this, this mechanic or this shop tuner or this guy. And, and, and I got a lot of connections and I hired the right guys, you know, and it was a lot of work, but we hired the right guys and we were competitive with the factory teams. And because Honda wasn't necessarily a factory chain, they just give me a wad of money, a bunch of bikes and parts and bonuses. And here you go. They trusted in my, you know, persnickiness that I was going to be, do the right thing, hire the right people. Cause I wanted to win whether I got paid nothing or, you know, half a million dollars. I wanted to win. So we did a lot of cool stuff like that. Did you feel that your effort was equal to the effort of Suzuki and Kawasaki? Um, I mean, me as an individual, I put in way more work because they had a team. They had crew chiefs and truck drivers and mechanics and, you know, all these guys that helped the team. But they spent more money than we did. You know, Honda, you know, we were spending about, gosh, I know they were they were putting $4 million in those programs. And we were spending between three twenty-five, three seventy-five. That's what we were spending. And of course, they were back me up on that, pay, pay me for all that. But we were spending a lot of money. But when you have, you're doing it yourself, you get all that money back. Well, they, they were just blowing money. You know, I, I think they spent way too much on what they should have, but we did a lot of work, a lot of homework. And, and Honda, you know, if they would have put the effort that Suzuki and Kawasaki and Can-Am did, uh, we would have been unbeatable. I mean, but it was basically a well-funded privateer program because they didn't give me anything special. They didn't give me no special CDI boxes or carburetors or no fuel injections or nothing. It was all me going after the best. You know, I was going after the Duncans and the, you know, the Rolls and the best the sport had to offer without buying special stuff. You know, because you remember Kawasaki didn't do nothing until they got those special ECUs from Japan. So, it, you know, and the same thing with Can-Am. They were slow as a turtle whenever they first came out. But when they started spending the money and getting all the special stuff no best could get, then they started stepping up. But Hondo just, they had the best bikes out of the box. And, you know, they give me a lot of bikes and parts of money. And I, I just, I spent it on, I could, I could probably put more money in my pocket, but I'd rather win. I want, I wanted that to have, you know, that's what made me, I don't know if you saw some of the, you know, special engines we had. We had, you know, how the Hondas, uh, the exhaust comes out at like a 35, 40 degree angle. We had one that came straight out. The exhaust came straight out the head, went out about three inches, turned and came straight back. That thing had five more horsepower over our production stuff. I got to race two races and everybody pitched a fit, protested me. We had to take it off. That was, you know, Dan just did all the extra work he could do to make me, you know, cause I'm a big, bigger guy, but that thing has some power. Did that head go to Honda afterwards? No, no, we kept it. I was talking to a privateer mechanic that was working on a satellite deal with a Honda team in outdoor. And he said that the factory bike that was sitting two feet from him and he's working on the privateer bike and they were not the same. No, yeah, for sure. Now Bruce Overby saw it. He saw the engine and talked about it. That was an amazing idea, but uh, we wouldn't let him have it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, do you think that, that Honda took any of the development that you went through and took any of it back at all to Japan to, no. to try to make a better? Well, bike? no, hold on. They did take some back and they actually told me this was, um, what year was this? They told me God, maybe 11, maybe 12, somewhere in that neighborhood. They told me, Joe, you need to sell all your bikes. I'm like, 
what do you mean? You, you just sent me 20 bikes. Well, I'm, I mean, you know, as a matter of fact, on this floor up here, I've got tire marks where they sent me 25 bikes at one time. <laughs> I try to figure out where to put them. So they said, you need to sell all your bikes. I'm like, well, why would I do that? You go, we got, we got, you know, we've got something new coming out. And you, if you don't sell your bikes now, they won't be worth nothing when this new one comes out. It was an R version. It's, it was already wide. It was already lowered. It was already fuel injectors. And it took some of the stuff, not much, that we had developed at work, like like the, the rear end, you know, because Honda's rear end is garbage from the, you know, the box. And the intake boot, you know, was kind of garbage. So some of the things we changed, they did incorporate, but a lot of those stuff they did on their own. And I'd be darned, I sold like, I don't know, half a dozen bikes or something. And I kept waiting for this new bike, waiting for this new bike nothing ever appeared so they finally said you know due to the uh united states economy falling and the, the marketing analysis team says that we're not going to be able to come out with this unit because it it was going to be about a nine thousand dollar bike and, and the economy can't support that right now so they put it on hold and it's still on hold and right now you can buy a brand new yamaha for 10 grand yep if you can find one you we can't can find one around here yeah you can't find them anywhere you can't buy them in california though yeah, I, I called uh, Donnie Luce because my schools are picking back up. I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to you know support you guys. You know, I'm Honda through and through, but I, I can't get a new one. You know, and all my all my cool bikes I'm hanging up. You know, I don't want to run them in the ground. I do have one school bike I still use. I said, but I'd like to work with you because, man, Joe, I'd really love to give you one, but I, I don't have any. All the the PR department, the R&D, uh, all this stuff that we don't have any. So he goes, and everyone that we we making, we're making a limited supply. They're all gone. They're going to the dealers, and most of them are gone fast. So. Yeah. I mean, I think Hetrick quit riding Hondas because he couldn't get new bikes. Oh, absolutely. I don't blame him. You know, as, a, as an athlete, when you go out and race, it, and you're practicing, race is one thing, but when you go out and practice, you're practicing every day. You want to go out and know that that spindle's not got 50 hours on it. That, that you know, that steering stem's not got 90 hours on it. You know, this chain, you want a brand new bike. I would, I would put anywhere from 12 to 15 hours on my practice bikes and get a new one. I'd put two to three races on my race bikes and get a new one. So I knew my spindles weren't going to break. My frame wasn't going to break. My subframe wasn't going to break. My, it was all new stuff. So, and there's no new Hondas. I mean, I got one or two here, but that's just here and there that, you know, you can't go out and run a race team on trying to find good used Hondas. I mean, I love the Honda, but you can go out and buy a brand new Yamaha. That's the thing. I, if you're a professional athlete, that's what you need to be on because you're not going to get hurt because it broke. Wow. That's a powerful statement right there. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, that's what, that's what, and that's why Hedrick did it. That's why most of you know, the Fords did it. The Hedrick did it. And a lot, heck, I went to the first couple of races and I think 90% of my Yamaha's online now. Right. Well, because you can get them. And, you know, if you're just riding amateur classes or something, you can build your hybrid or you build your, you know, freshen up your Honda, that's fine, but you're going four laps. You know, you will ride more in one week than your amateur rides all year, you know? So you don't want to be thinking about nothing but just ride, train, eat, sleep, ride, train, you know, being on the gas, not whether, I hit this trip when I over jumped this thing. I land too hard. It's been a break. You know, you can't, you don't really think about getting hurt because as a professional athlete, you know, I, at least I did. I know what Tyler did and Gus did. We're, we're bad dudes. You ain't nobody going to kick our ass. Nobody's going to beat us. That's, you know, I'm being funny, but that's how you have to think or why you go to start line. If you don't think you're the baddest dude out there and you're nobody and you're just eating nails and pissing vinegar, you don't even know how to start line. Why go? You need to think you're, you know, and so you don't need to be thinking about, I don't I hope my quad don't break. That's that's something that's not even a thought in your head. Right. Right. I, I hear you. When you turned 40, did you revert to any cycle training or anything like that? I've always done cycle training. I kept my training similar, but I would just 
take an extra day off the rest and I would do more blood work to see if I'm overtraining. And I let me get this number right. So when I would wake and I'd wake up in the morning, I just grab my heart and or look at my if I had my watch or look at my heart rate. And you know, if it was my heart rate was normally anywhere from 38 to 45 resting heart rate, I had a really good low heart rate. And if you stand up and it automatically is getting out of bed, if it goes past, if you increase your heart rate past 16. So if it was, let's say I woke up and it was 40 and I stood up and it was 56. Wait a minute, I'm over, I'm over, I'm over training. Or if it was 60, I'm because you're 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 already struggling, your lactic acid is built up, you're already tired. So if you wake up and your heart rate is 16 or more from resting, then you've overtrained. So those little things I'd really pay attention to. And I noticed it a whole lot more when I was over 40 than I was 25 to 35, you know. Um, I want to clarify something that I am confused about. And and I've talked to I've talked to a lot of guys. Okay. A lot of ladies too. Is riding your hundred percent main focus of training um, in motocross woods, cross country, uh, off-road, whatever it is. Do you think riding is the number one thing you should be doing? For sure. That's the best way to get in shape because you're actually riding, you know, Running's good, bicycle's good, swimming's good, rowing's good, ellipticals are good. But all that stuff, you really got to push it to get that heart rate up. And you're not doing the exact same thing you are on the machine. And you know, a little thing, this sounds funny, but a little thing, like the side of your butt. Okay, when you hang off the side of that bike, that's, that seat pan hurts the, you know, your hip and your, your butt cheek over here. You can't get that calloused up riding a bicycle. You got to get on that quad and get that calloused up. You can't get your hands calloused up riding a bicycle or running or swimming or those little things. And when your hands start to hurt and you got a big old, you know, blister that's ripped off, you, you're not going to go as fast. You just, oh, it's just, I don't care how tough you are, just not. Your butt's got a blister on it. You got pimples on the side of it from all your infected hairs or whatever. You're just not going to go as fast. So riding gets a lot of things calloused up and in shape and it gets your your timing. And, and you know, you want to be one with the bike. Like when I was racing, I, I, my quad was just an extension of me. You know, I was, it was, it was just my extra arm, my extra leg. It was, you know, it, it was just, in second nature to me. I'd be out there riding hard as I could go think about what my wife's cooking me for dinner, or what we're doing next week, or I was so comfortable on the machine because I rode five days a week that it just, there's no replacement for riding. But I think Jeremiah Jones was one of the ones that I think all he did was ride. He rode, 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 did very little cross training. And he was one of the baddest ones ever rode, rode for. So, but you can't always ride, you know, you can't afford it. You know, it's, you're sore, you're tired. You don't feel like driving to the track or you don't have your own track or the bike's broke or, so you still there? Turn your volume back on. You there? Yep. Okay. Another little hiccup. Um, excuse the break. We'll, we'll we'll plug a we'll plug a commercial in or something. You know. All right. What was that? What was the last thing you heard me saying? You, the last thing you said was uh, about making sure that you're riding. Um, I want to ask you this question because nobody will um, ever talk about it. How good was Jeremiah? I think he was one of the best guys ever ride a fuller, and you know he's. 
I, I remember seeing him ride a, a Yamaha Warrior at some of the indoor races back in the 90s whenever I first met him. He was squirrely as hell, pinballed all over the thing, like kind of like Hetrick was when he first started. Just, you're like, wait for him to crash, but he never would, you know. Um, good family, great guy. He was, he got so squirrely, I would be scared to ride beside him until he got, got his feet, you know, got his feet planted. Then he was dangerous. He was so fast. He, he could corner like nobody, you know, and, and it just didn't seem like he hardly ever got tired. I mean, the little guy would just ride, ride, ride. And, you know, we always made fun of him because he, it, it took a longer to get his driver's license than most because he was always riding. He never had a girlfriend. So I think all the guy, all of us guys were like trying to find girls to send to him to lose his focus <laughs> and everything like go, go, go mess with him. Get, get, his, get his mind all messed up, you know? But um, yeah, he was, he was as good as it gets. I mean, if he was, it's hard to beat, you know, he was most of the time faster than I was and most everybody. I just had my conditioning on par and so did Doug Gus, but he would, he would make a fuller look like he's going twice as fast as it was. Like I'd watch him and Doug Gus practice and or racing together. He's ah, da, 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 he's all over the track and just, you know, one wheel here. And then Doug's right behind it. You know, like we're just staying the same speed. It was just, he was fun to watch. He was really fun to watch ride. Cause you're like, he was just, he ride by himself. He is entertaining to watch. That's crazy. That, yeah, he was good. He was good. You're the first person to really answer that question that way. Yeah. I mean, that's quite quite a statement coming from from you to to the high praise. Um, anybody else that you raced with that that you just were impressed with? You know, Travis Spader's another guy that I always he had the uh, you know, and I. I'd watch him, especially a sand track, like Macon, Georgia, or Ejikani. I'd watch him, and he just had the most unique lines. You know, he would come out wide, square off the turn, and, you know, everybody else was in the, in the train tracks, you know, slot car races, so to speak, in you know, a sand track. He'd go out wide brr, and, and cross them. I'm like, what the hell? I'm watching this guy do this. I'm like, that's cool. And so I'd start watching him ride, and he had some of the coolest, smartest lines out there. He was a real methodical racer. He's really smart about what he was doing. So he he was always impressive to watch. And, you know, Natalie was always a wild man. And he was always just, he was another pinball until he got his feet wet. But those those couple of guys there were, you know, were really impressive to watch. I always would like, especially when they run like the two classes or something, I'd always go watch them ride and see what lines they were taking and see if it was faster. They, thought, they never would follow nobody. They'd always take different lines. And that's how you learn. I'd watch, you know, uh, Travis, Take especially when he's running that open class, which for I think for you guys, he would take this bench and go way out here across the damn track. I'm like, where's he going? <laughs> you know, and he just made lines work, you know. And then he was one of the first guys, he and I, and I think uh, Greg Stewart, and who's the other one? Um, I taught Jeremy Lawson, I do, but how to soak up the, the jumps like Bubba Stewart, the Bubba Scrub, you know, on the quad, and just had just a natural ability. Just and Travis was like the perfect size, you know, I'm, I'm too big to be riding a quad really, but Travis is, you know, five, nine, five, 10, whatever he is. And, you know, 175, 80 pounds. And, you know, like Doug Gus is, and even a tally, but just the right size to really make that quad work. You know, it is pretty impressive when Travis was on sometimes Travis was a light switch, but when Travis was on, he was fun to watch. That's yeah. I, I've had uh, the pleasure of getting to watch a lot of you guys ride and, uh, I can't wait to get back East so that I can watch some of the guys, some of the young guys I've talked to ride yeah. and see. Um, I'm pretty impressed with uh, Ford. 
that kid is he's got I, I worked with those guys three years ago and um you know the boy's got and i i, I you know talked to him the other day when i went to the, the race he's got a lot of talent he's got a lot of speed and i haven't rode his quad i rode his you know three years ago i rode his honda but i, I haven't rode his quad to see if it's if he can improve there but there's a lot of guys out there that have speed. You watch the time qualifier, man. There's there's ten of them within a few seconds of each other. Hendricks always got on his own, but the I think him being a little bit nervous, he's not his conditioning's not there yet, and I think his riding conditioning's not there, you know. And I don't know if it's him mentally not wanting to push himself, or maybe he's don't have nobody fast to practice with at home. I, I don't know. I don't know his program right now. I'm not, I'm not in that program, but he's got to get his second half of his motor. His first ten minutes is badass. I watched him at uh, Texas. He was pushing. Hey, yeah, he was right in front of Wynn. He was pushing Hetrick. I'm like, man, this is, I mean, it's going to be, I, I, I even texted him. I, said, I thought you were going to pass him. And the second half, he got tired. It looks like he, he started making mistakes. He gets tired. And when you get tired, you make mistakes. But I think if he had somebody like me or whoever, I mean, Natalia or somebody, coach him on his second half of his racing, he could be a threat to win. I, I really think he's got the speed to win. I don't think his head game and his second half of his motor is quite there yet. but. He's going to be another another one to recommend for real soon. You think it's youth? Yeah, I, I, I say this funny, but he don't have his man muscles yet. You know what I mean? He's he's he just turned nineteen, I think, yesterday or the day before, if I'm if I remember correctly. So he's still young, but still, it's nineteen. He ain't a kid no more. He's he's almost an adult. But I think his man muscles and and his he's got to get a little bit more a better head about him because he's making a lot of mistakes. He's blowing the turns. He's going out wide. He's not taking the right lines. He's just He's just all over the place, you know, kind of like, you know, Jeremiah Jones used to be and Hedrick used to be. And, you know, a lot of guys, were, when they first get in a pro class, they want to, you know, set the world on fire and they're pinballing it. You know, they're bouncing off the walls and, you know, sometimes they crash. So once he calms down and he gets his second half his moto program dialed in, I think he'll be on the podium, top of the podium. Have you been approached by any teams to come and work with their riders? I know that you've done it with somebody in the, some guys in the past, but has anybody came to you and asked you to, uh, to, to be there, the, like the, what do you call it? The rider manager? Yeah. Rider coach. Whatever. You know, yeah. I've, I, a few guys have talked to me, but they haven't actually shown me any money. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I, you know, at this point, I mean, I've got so much to give a team or a program with my knowledge and how to set up a bike and race savvy and lines and training. You know, I just, I, I can't do it for free, you know, and, and a lot of these guys, you know, I don't know if they just don't want to spend the money or what, but it's, it's mainly about the money. You know, they just, um, I'm not going to do it for free. You know, I've always, I've always been reluctant to say this, but I, I did it for a lot of years for free. Yeah. Did. And I'm just not going to do it for free anymore. Well, and I've had my riding team and then the riding team I, I had, I taught all those guys for free. I had my, I don't know if you remember the bird training facility. I've got a logo at a good somewhere. Yeah. Anyways. So my little, my little dirty bird, you know, a little tough little, little bird guy. I had that for uh really wide open for three or four years and 75% of people came through. I did for free. Cause I was trying to get it out there and, and train all these guys. I used to have 15 teenagers live here in a big shop over there with, you know, had RVs in there, had beds in there, had computers in there, had cots, had all this stuff in there. And I trained all these guys for free just to build up and help the people that couldn't afford it. And here recently I've, I've still done some guys for free, but you know, it's like, man, I, you know, when, when, when times get tough, you know, like when I had that, 
I had a, I had a plane stolen from me a couple years ago. Nobody was there helping me <laughs> deal with that. So I need money like anybody else, you know? So, right. um, you know, I, I have so much to offer uh, a young team or, and riders, you know, I just unlimited knowledge there. I've been doing this since the day fours came out and I think I have the championships to back it up and the knowledge and the training and, everything and i've got i think we've won 46 or 7 championships between all my team and people i've brought that's written for me and i think that's pretty good so i'd love to help some of these teams out and love to help you know some of these young pros out that you know there's there's half a dozen out there that really could use my help because they're they're good but they're not great they need to get that next level up and they're just not going anywhere because they're just they're happy where they're at you know you think that's why Chad's been so dominant over the last few years is because he did elevate his game and nobody else did. Yes. And Chad, you know, we, I raced with Chad, I raced with Joel. I raced with Joel for several years before I retired. And, you know, I've raced with every national champion since Rodney Gentry back when it started, you know, even Joel and Chad and, you know, whenever the money was really big and it was really, you know, great, you know, Joel and Chad were, you know, right. They wasn't dominant, you know, and I wasn't dominant. We never was, was a lot of guys there. There's 10 guys that go in the race. So what happened was Chad maintained his focus. You know, he, he was, I mean, the dudes won several championships and all the good guys had to quit for whatever reason. You know, most of the sponsors dropped out and Chad was a champion at the time. And he kept his sponsors and he, he maintained that winning attitude. He's got a winning attitude. He's got a great program. He's a hell of a rider and he's, you know, he's, as good as it gets, you know, and now Joel stepped up and he's got a great program. He's got a, 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 the tiger attitude as well. So that's why they're winning. And the other guys just don't have that yet. You think they're most of those guys are young, you know, Max Lindquist, he's first yeah. time pro, you know, Bryce Ford, he's, he, he's second year pro, I think. Yeah. The sophomore year. Yeah. And, and his brother's a third or fourth year pro. Um, you know, some of the other guys are, are first year pros as well. And there's a couple sophomore pros in there. So your pro class is pretty stacked with a lot of young guys. Yeah. It looks like, and I, and I no disrespect to the young guys out there, but when you go watch a race, it looks like Joel and Chad are racing a prime class. And that's basically what over the last two or three years, all the pros had to quit for whatever reason, losing their sponsors or whatever. And all the prime guys are now pros and, Joel and Chad are just in a league of their own. I mean, you got, like you said, you got four that can run. Actually, there's several guys that can run that speed. Four is just the top of the list. But when that second half of the moto comes, Joel and Chad just check out. They, they can run that whole pace the whole time. Matter of fact, Curtis Sparks told me this 30 years ago. He said, Joe, you ought to be running your last lap faster than your first lap. I was like, man, well, you, he said, you shouldn't get tired. You're a professional athlete. You need to learn how to train. And you know the track better that last lap. So you'll be able to go faster the last lap than your first lap. And I, I kept that in my back of my mind all these years. And I always, when I practice in my race, I want to make sure that last lap was just as fast or faster than that first lap, because you do know the track better and you shouldn't conditioning shouldn't be a problem. You don't win the race on Saturday. You win it the week before training. Yep. You know, your little buddy in when he would race works at the end of the race, he was always faster. You know, Eichner could always pull off faster laps at the end of a works race than he did in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. He was a bad dude. I mean, I know <laughs> I listened to his. I don't podcast. think, I don't think his training program was ever as intense as yours, but the guy just had heart. I mean, his genetics yeah. were, he just never, 
he just never ran out of energy. Yeah. You know? uh, I, it's crazy. I, I am a late blossom during the moto. Like it's going to take me 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get warm. And then, uh, okay, let's do this. But the race right. is going to be over, you know, <laughs> in the desert, when I was racing desert, that first ride was horrible. You had to force yourself through it, force yourself through some of the, the aches and pains that I would have. But that third ride, I, I was good to go, you know? Yeah. Well, you warmed up. Oh yeah. It was fluent. It was just the bike would flow. It was always awesome. I loved, yeah. I always loved that third ride. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Not, not, you know, I, I guess I didn't know enough about warming my body up or stretching properly. Uh, you know, and I didn't train for, I didn't train, right. I train harder now in my fifties than I ever did when I was <laughs> younger to, to race quads. So yeah. I know I was never at a, at a level like, like you were at all, not even close, but you know, in my own little guppy pond, I was a hero. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all right? Right. Right. So it, what would be the biggest thing that, okay, you're, you're taking on my team and we're, we're rolling out these three young pros and what are we going to focus on first? Well, first thing you do, the obviously the machine's got to be set up right. You guys, Lenny, you know how to do that. So that, but they need to know how to, you know, you watch an old show days of thunder. They got to tell you, what's wrong with that machine or what it's doing that they don't like. And they don't have to tell you nothing technical. Hey, it's kicking me in the butt over here. Okay, where? So the machine's got to work, okay? Then they got to make sure they're in shape. Don't even go to the racetrack if you're not physically fit. That's the cheapest thing in ATV racing is to get in shape. You don't have to have a gym. I got a nice gym down here, sure, but you can run. If you got a bicycle, bicycle. You can swim. You can do jump rope. You can play tennis. You can do sprints. You can take your forward and push up down a driveway like I do. You can push around a track. All kinds of stuff you can do. You don't have to have a gym membership. You can do it out in your backyard, okay? But when you exercise, exercise with intensity. So that's two things. The machine's got to be ready, and they've got to be physically fit. The third thing, make sure they're focused. Make sure they're not chasing women out at night to 3 o'clock in the morning eating McDonald's cheeseburgers and coming back in. And, you know, they're – no. You go to bed at 10 o'clock, you get up at 7 o'clock. Whatever that eight, nine hours of sleep you need, focus. If you're not focused, you're not shaped. And you don't want to learn how to get this bike out in, you need from me. You brought up a good point there. Sleep. As you got older, or as I get older, sleep is an issue. Yeah. Falling asleep and staying asleep. Do you, as your athletic program developed, did you start having problems with the rest time? Because we recover best when we're sleeping. Did you ever have yeah. any trouble with that? I never had much of a problem falling asleep initially, but staying asleep all night. Oh yeah, and a couple a couple reasons. One, you get older, um, you, you hurt more, and all the injuries you had, and and two, you're sore. So even even if you don't have any injuries, you're sore. Your your lats are sore, your forearms are sore, your butt's sore, your neck's sore from landing so hard. So you 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 toss and turn all night trying to get comfortable. So, you know, as, a, as an athlete, man, yeah, for the last 30 years, I ain't slept on a damn. <laughs> so, you know, I'm falling asleep, staying asleep. I'll get up at least one to three times a night, you know, just to stretch or go to the bathroom or whatever, just because I'm, you know, not not so much now that I'm retired, it's a little better, but 
I was always sore. And if you're not sore, you're not training hard enough. You know, so yeah, staying asleep. And that's why you that's the part where you really need to get your blood checked. Make sure you're taking the right whatever it may be. You may be low on magnesium, low on zinc, or you're too high in iron. You need to, you know, I donate my blood every seven weeks and I got high iron. So learning your body because your body tells you this is why I'm not sleeping. I'm either sore, or I got my blood pressure too high, my my blood's too thick, or it's um, I got too much lactic acid built up. I need to eat more pineapple, whatever it may be. Your, your blood will tell you what you need to be doing. That's that's pretty good. You brought that blood thing up five or six times now. I, I think that I'm going to become a uh, an avid believer in that and, and do some testing on my own to see what it's all about. Yeah, and it's good to donate, too. I, the last probably two years, I, you know, they say donate every seven or eight weeks. I've done it every month. I'll take uh, I'll take two, you know, 32, 40 ounces of blood out and it thins your blood. Obviously, the thinning your blood, less likely for a heart attack. It lowers your iron. I got high iron. So lowers a lot of health risk when you donate your blood and, and you put your you're making your body rejuvenate and put fresh blood in there. I'm a firm believer in donating blood and putting fresh blood in your body. That, that's you know, and somebody of course it's illegal and they race them, but you know, like Lance Armstrong, these guys, they take their blood out, spin it, put all the good stuff back in their body. It's like putting yourself on steroids. I mean, that and that's totally legal and healthy to do in some sports, but not our sport. And I'm totally believe in spinning your blood and, and putting all the good stuff back in you. So it is illegal in ATV racing to do that? Yeah. You can't even put give yourself an IV between motos. You know, of course, I've done it. A lot of people have done it, you know, trying to get your, you know, not not be so dehydrated, but yeah. Wow. I didn't know. I, I, that's something I didn't know. I learned something new. Yep. And that's all because of the AMA coming in and, and being yep. overbearing? Yeah, and they're all, they're all overbearing. But, you know, it also, to, to their defense, some of it's, is an expense thing. If it makes stuff that's expensive that only certain people can do, that makes it an advantage for the people. Well, this just make this just ban it so not not anybody can do it. You know, so you know if it was if it was cheap and easy, then it'd probably make it legal. But it's not real cheap and easy to do, so they want it. They would ban certain things, so it's it keeps the sport more fair. Do you think that anybody in our sport used performance enhancing drugs? For sure. <laughs> you say that straight face you didn't even <laughs> hesitate wow absolutely um do you know this firsthand or is it just know it sense? seen it yep wow wow yep. do you think it makes that big of a difference uh not as much as people think it does nope not because like here's the thing how many other sports out there have arm pump you get arm pumping football, you get arm pumping cycling, you get arm pumping swimming. No, most of your performance enhancing drugs to some degree will cause an arm pump because it's, 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 it's most of the time it's, it's giving you more strength. It's, it's putting more adrenaline in you. It's getting, it's making your blood, uh, heart race more, you know, a little stuff like uh, take Adderall, your heart's going to race more when your heart races more. What, what's going to happen? More blood's going to go into your arms. So how arm pump works? You got you got these big old veins that come in, in your arm right here, right? And it, it, it fills up your arm. And the little spider veins that you can't really see, that's where the blood escapes. Well, when your spider veins are holding more blood than the big bloods, the big veins are accepting into your arm, your blood is not going anywhere. That's why you have this rock hard arm. You can't really move. You're, you're grabbing your grips like a, you know, a retard. And, and so that's what causes arm pump. And most of your performance enhancing drugs will do that. So what are these surgeries that these guys are doing to prevent arm pump? They're cutting this muscle open or like 
and I'm not a doctor, don't quote me here, but they're lancing this, this muscle open to allow more blood to flow in and out of that, that muscle. Really? Does it work? And it only works on, I think it's like a 30 or 40% a positive rate of surgery. It's 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 more negative than it. Don't, you know, when people get it, more than half the people doesn't help. Yeah, because I watch MotoGP and what else? MotoGP, and yeah. those guys, almost all of them get the surgery. And these guys, well, you remember Jer- Go ahead. You remember Jeremy Warner? He got it. He said it helped him tremendously. Yeah, well, a lot of more Europeans do it than than yeah. Americans that I'm aware of. And. Probably because maybe they know how to do it better over there than over here. So it's more, they're just used to doing it more. So maybe their doctors are doing it the right way. And the ones over here, maybe not. Maybe that's why it's such a low positive rate over here. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Is, is surgeries like that illegal or? No, no, it's legal to do. It's just expensive. I, I actually entertained it, but I just said, you know what? I'm just going to ride harder. You know, I'm going to eat cleaner and, and try to ride harder. And um, it, my arm pump for me, was a lot of mental so my first three laps i'd have my mechanic put relax wiggle your fingers off the jumps and take deep breaths and once i got comfortable after about third lap i'll game on in i wouldn't get arm pump more my arm pump would always come the first two or three laps i think that i think that you're right um arm pump starts from lack of breathing properly in the beginning of the moto yep. to holding on too tight because you're you're excited yeah. and if you just go out there and relax and ride um you know, this is a, a funny phrase that I give to a lot of the guys. Hey, just go trail ride with those guys. Yeah. When you're trail riding with them, you're bumping each other. You're dicing in and out. You're having a great time. Do you ever get tired? Oh, no, never. And you're going the same speed, if not faster, because you're just relaxed and you're, and you're having fun. That's the 33.3% minute I was telling you about. You, I'd rather be 100% mentally ready, confident in everything, and go out and ride versus being – not mentally ready because that, that mentality that's where I would get my arm pump. It, it, I'd get more arm pump my time qualifiers than I would the race. So you got to, you know, breathing means that you're, you're breathing, but you're not breathing properly. So when he would tell me to breathe on a pit board, it meant when I hit a big jump, I take a real deep breath. When I'm on a straightaway that's not taking much strength, I take a real deep breath. Every jump I would hit, I would wiggle my fingers like this, take a deep breath and land and go, you know. So those little things. And after I got the race going, I would. You know, normally the second half of the moto would never get arm pump. It's a first lap or two. Right. And that's, and then it takes three quarters of the moto to, to work that out so that you can hold on and ride. It, until, until you learn how to work it, you know, yeah, it, it, your average person, it, when they get arm pump, they're done. It is, they can't, they can't come out of it. So it takes, it takes some, some mental training and, and preparation to learn how to come out of that for sure. And it's hard to teach. Oh, I, I, I totally believe that. In the little bit of training that I do, the beginning of the exercise or the the, the session is always the hardest for me. Yeah. A because I'm not, and, and it's breathing related mostly is what I'm figuring out because I'm not breathing properly. I'm <laughs> holding my breath when I'm <laughs> lifts on you know, and that creates the negative. And then once you start breathing right and start flowing. Everything relaxes and it's just a better train. Try to try to give you some oxygen and start breathing that two hours before you race. That it's it's saturating your system and that'll help too. Oh really? Yep, it's forcing it in you. I would do that too. Wow, that I didn't. Yep. Uh, I had heard some portions of that. Uh, they used to sell a oxygen bottle. They probably still do, 
you know, a little portable yeah. oxygen deal that you could that you could take, and it was for athletes. Um, yeah, yeah, we have that in our planes since aviation stuff too. Yeah, cycling for the cyclists, they would do all that stuff. Yep. That's where I learned that the breathing for me, I, I was doing it wrong because when I would go race the bicycle every once in a while, I would see these guys for an hour before the bicycle race riding back and forth. And some guys were just killing it. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you got to go race in a few minutes. And then you would watch this guy perform and you go, okay, I'm starting to get it. Yeah. You've got to warm up now. And then I would warm up more and more and I would start performing better. Never like any of those guys. I mean, cyclists. Well, yeah, I mean, you just said your, your third ride when you was doing the desert stuff, you felt better. So yeah. we would start, we, we, I used to go run, run through the pits and or get on my bicycle, or whatever in, in the rig and get warmed up. Not, not tired, not get heart rate that up, but you get your heart rate at 120 or whatever and get your blood flowing. Cause you know, that cold blood and you don't want to stretch cold muscles so you don't want to go on that track or do any kind of stretch until you're warmed up so all these people that try to stretch before they warm up that's just going backwards you need to do some jumping jacks push-ups sit-ups do a little light jog or something then do your stretching really yeah don't stretch cold muscles that goes you don't want to hurt yourself we we play uh catch coach throws the football so we do pass patterns before we work out. And I love that because if you get 15, 20 minutes of that before you go do your normal system, um, mm -hmm. I'm warm, relaxed, and ready to go. And and right. most of my aches and pains are um not as bit not as bad at that point, you know. Right. I everybody, hey, you gotta make it fun. You know, at, at almost 55 years old, if it ain't fun, I ain't doing it. You got to make it fun. I don't care what you're doing. It's got to yeah. be fun. And that's why I still do my riding school. I love riding. I never got tired of riding. I, you know, the business side of it, that always, like any other business, that gets that gets tiring. But when the money fell out of it, I'm like, okay, I used to make <laughs> well into the six figures doing this. Now I got to pay to do it. Eh, I can stay home and ride my own track and do that. <laughs> and I just got the doze right here the other day. I've totally redone my track and and uh, made it a little bit safer for easier for me <laughs> and, and, and funner for the riding school. So I still ride to this day. That's, that's, that's awesome. I don't get to ride. I get to test every once in a while, um, do some stuff like that for the shop, but I don't get to ride like I would like to. Um, yeah. I mean, just, I was never a go on a long trail ride or I was never a huge super dune fan. I like to go ride, you know, either off-road tracks or motocross. And I'm not a huge motocross fan, but, uh, you know, that, that's, you know what you can do? I'll tell you what would be fun. You ought to try your best to come to Loretta Lands this year. I'm going to have a riding school the weekend before. I'm going to have a group lessons, and I'm going to have open practice here at my track Monday and Tuesday. So get your butt out here. We'll ride together, have some fun, go to Loretta Lands, and watch the race. What weekend is that? Uh, you can text me I later. Think, you can text yep. me later. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 9th and 10th. Or so. I think Loretta is 15th and 16th or something of August, something like that. But that way you're doing some teaching and stuff. Now you can learn a little bit about, you know, the things I do in teaching and, you know, uh, help, help your, you know, your skill level and how to, cause you know, I, I taught for about six or seven years before I learned how to teach, you know, and I've been doing it for gosh, since 93. So that's what 30 years ago, whatever I started. So you, it takes a while to learn how to read people and how to teach. And I can, I can see what somebody's doing right or wrong and know how to explain it differently than just say, watch me do this. So, and a lot of things we go over, you know, if you're going to be, you know, working with people and getting these 
private lessons, then, you know, learn, you know, spend some time and learn to be a better instructor, you know. And I think that's hugely important. Um, yeah. one of the, I think one of the best things that I've learned being in the position that I'm in is talking with people. You, you, I always tell the customer, I don't want you to talk my language. I want you to talk your language. Let me decipher it. Let me right. figure out what you're saying. And then it's going to be an easier conversation for you. Same with yeah. a lot of riders. Hey, I, I, you know, days of thunder. If As much as you want to make it a joke and you want to laugh about it, you know, when you're talking to them, you make it simple for the rider to explain to you what's going on so that you can solve their issue. Whether it's yeah, wrong, like, right terminology, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when he was sitting there on the stool talking to the car in the movie, yep. that's real. <laughs> is that, it sure is. I you know, it's funny. Like, a lot of I, guys don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> people, you know, my dad gets it. Uh, my brother, Lauren, doesn't get it. Yeah. Um, because he just was never into it like that yeah um, i can talk to every one of my girls yeah you know when i'm putting them together i'm talking to them and the ones that yeah. go together hard there's there's a reason they just they don't like the way you're putting it together so you have to yeah. start over you take it apart and try again and and, right. and work with her and yeah. uh you know people are probably thinking i'm a nutball right now but <laughs> but it's true you know, hey, hey, we're both nutballs. We're in ATV racing, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, that just summed it up. Well, yeah, you should come out and I'll, I'll try to work with you and, and making you. You're, you're never too good to learn. And I've been doing oh. this for a long time, man. So hopefully I can teach you something to make you suffer a better instructor as well. And you have some fun and get the ride and go to the race. Well, I can you take you for a plane ride. Do you have a peewee? Do you have a peewee track? I'll make you one. Okay. I need a peewee track. <laughs> Little bit. Matter of fact, one of my. One of my big nasty King Kong doubles I had, I, I just I mowed it down and made a little bit of tabletop out of it for the little ninety riders that come to the school. So, well, that's probably a little big for me. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll, we'll, go, we'll go. I raced desert and and off road. We only raced motocross because you had to at some point because that was all that was available in small spurts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, so we'll and, get you out here, get you, get you some seat time in. We'll get you some lessons in. We'll get you some. We'll fly to dinner somewhere, and we'll go to the race. We'll, we'll buzz the red lands and say hi to everybody. Throw some water balloons out the window or something. Well, you text me the you text me the dates, and I'll see if I can get there. You know, all right? Because it's just you would not believe how crazy the industry is right now. We are back to. Okay, I want to. I want to. I want to get your intake on the input on this. Okay, Honda is starting to stop making parts for the 0405 TRX 450R. Some parts for the 014 or the 06 ups are starting to be scarce. A portion of this is COVID. A portion of this is my opinion. Honda is getting ready to do something. Well, and they only have to do it, what, uh, 20 years, 18 or 20 years, they have to make parts for it. So they're... Ten. Is it 10? Well, they changed it. It yeah, wasn't 10 before. it for 10 years. Okay. All right. Well, I think, they, I don't know they got it, but it's just a matter of when they're going to release it. I, you know, with, with, you know, I don't know with this new administration in place, if, if they're going to take the gamble right now with everything going up with price of woods, Five times more than it was last year, and the fuel is almost are, double. 
So mm-hmm. I don't know that they're going to come out yet with it, but. Do you see what some of the prices of some of the quads are going for right now? Yeah, it's crazy. Dude, a Lobo that, that Eichner's got a Lobo and I've had it tentatively on the market, you know, for what it's worth. Yeah. And now you see guys with, with nice machines, but I don't think they're that nice compared to the Eichner's asking the same price or more. Oh, well, yeah. And, and yeah, I know that some of this stupid yard stuff is going through the roof. That one red bike I got out there, the red 88, somebody mm-hmm. offered me $8,000 for the plastic, just the plastic. Yeah. Crazy. Um, a few years oh, ago, I, I think I, I think I told you this a few years ago, they found a, an 89 in a crate at a Honda dealer. And well, it was 10 grand. Oh yeah. I didn't go for more than that now. Oh, totally. It probably, it probably go close to me. It probably go 25, 30. If they're off me 8,000 just for the fenders. <laughs> yeah. Cause you can't buy factory fenders. You can't find any good stuff. No. Nope. No. So, all right. I just, I, I, I just see, I see the industry needs an injection of something. And I was all, I always, keep, I'm not a huge KTM fan, but now that KTM owns Husky and gas gas, why don't they just make a real quad instead of what yeah. they did before? And, you know, label it with all three of them because that's what they do with the motorcycle. And, right. dude, now we have three factories out there racing the quads besides Yamaha. And that'll force Honda and maybe Kawasaki to come back and do something. Yeah, unless until somebody else comes back out with a nice machine or we get back on TV, Honda's like, they're max to us. Yeah, it's kind of odd that they would do that. I think that you know, the ATV industry, if you look at the sales numbers and I don't remember who told me this or where I got the information, but the ATV industry carried the motorcycle, the off-road portion for 12, 15 years. Oh yeah. The, well, the 250Rs, uh, I know the four years they made the 250R, they had more sales in those four years than the past 20 years on the dirt bikes combined. Yeah. And, and, and then they turned their back on the, on the ATV people. I don't get it. Hey, well, we never will. And there's some guy with a pencil pushing numbers that has no clue or concept what's going on out yep. there making decisions. Yep, they sold every one of them. How can they not want to buy new more? They sold every one of them. But the problem with most of you guys, I know Honda, they got too many older guys running this, the departments and not the new young blood that make, well, they want to see racing flourish again. Well, yeah. And then the people they did hire, I don't think were the right people for. No. Sure, a couple of guys that signed my last couple of contracts. Oh boy, they were not ATV lovers for sure. Yeah, and they just, but they didn't understand it either. Nope, didn't understand it. Bruce, I think a bunch of red mud pit flyers or something. I don't know what they think. We we miss Bruce, man. We miss Bruce. Bruce was the guy. Yeah, you know. yeah. It's a damn shame he passed away. He was too way too young, but he was a guy. He had a weird personality, but he was definitely in our corner. You know, I don't. I didn't. I had never been introduced to him and we oh, were really? in Helen. Um, God, I, it was, had to have been Oh four. It had to have been Oh four when the Oh four Honda just came out. And um, I knew who he was, but I had never been introduced to him and I had walked up to him and introduced myself and he goes, yeah, I know who you are. And, and I go, he goes, what do you need? And I told him what I had needed and he goes, come with me. And he took me in his box van, handed me the new part that I needed, 
that you couldn't yeah. buy. And said, hey, there you go. And I go, what do I owe you? And he goes, don't worry about it. He says, good luck, man. Yeah, that was him. Yeah. And I was yeah, just- he was a good guy. Yeah, I've, I've known him for several years. And I was actually at his house when he was, he done lost his foot. He's done, you know, his cancer was eating him up. And I spent the time, personal time with him, not, you know, at his house and mowing his yard and all kinds of stuff. You know, just a darn shame we lost him. He, we, we probably have another bike up now if he was up to him. Yep. Yep. I totally agree with that. I mean, for a guy like that to know who I was, I was blown away. Yeah. I'm nobody. He was a I'm smart just, guy. Oh yeah. You know, and he, and he had an ethics to him. He always told me, he said, Joe, he said, uh, the, we were always taught at Honda. You called everybody back. You somebody leaves you a message. You call them back that same day, or at least leave them a message. You always, re- you always respond to somebody when they, when they communicate with you and, re- and return that phone call. And he showed me the proper way to hand a, a business card to somebody, proper handshake. I had to tuck my shirt in. You know, he was, he was a professional. He was a really prompt dude, you know. That's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. There. Yeah. I know Wayne Hinson called me one time and uh, some Japanese guys were coming down to see us from one of the factories. And he said, okay, here's the thing. When they get there, they're going to give you a business card. You would better be ready and give them one back. Yeah. And he says, I don't care what it says on it. Cause they can't read it. <laughs> But you better be giving him a business card. Yep. And uh, I mean, he called me personally and and, and told me this and I was like, wow, okay. I'm just a green young kid. I didn't know nothing. Yeah. And it's just to have a different, you know, different culture way of doing things, you know, and Bruce, I don't know if you know this or not, but Bruce sent me an extra folder one time. He said, build this like your race bike, at least a production version of it. And we're sending it to Japan. So I have one of my production copies of my race bikes in the Honda Museum over in Japan right now. That's so cool. It's all because of Bruce. I can't wait to go see it one day. Oh, that would be so, that would be so awesome. You know? Yep. Ah, man. The, 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 the history that, that these young kids and most people don't know. Yeah. You know, and that there again, that's comes out why I'm here, why I'm trying to do this. Um, is because I want to get the history out there. I want to get people to know the story, you know, I mean, there's a lot of story. Like I said, I've been racing folders since I started racing folders. I was racing three wheelers before that. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, I've been I, in a long time. I've met a lot of good people. Dude. I remember going to the races with the 91, 10 days. Yeah. You know, speedway 117 out here in, in Southern California and yeah. you know, Ace Williams and, uh, there's just so many other guys that you already got his start out here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike Coe. Uh, I mean, Jim Babbitt, there's just so many guys. I'm, I'm missing sure. so many names. Yeah. Sundahl and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Dean. Gosh, that, how do you not talk about Dean? That guy yeah, was right? a pioneer, you know? Yeah. It's just yeah, good stuff. Unbelievable brother. Yep. Uh, I want to thank you for your time tonight. Thank uh, you. I enjoyed it. I always enjoy it. I, your episodes on ATV talk do really well. I get a lot of private feedback from people oh, good, good. That, that really enjoy them. Um, and they always want more. And uh, I'm always, always wanting to do more with you. Uh, I'm going to ask you and I'm going to put this out on the air so that it's in the tape. I want to talk to you and John Natale and Shane hit all at the same time. Oh, that'd be fun. <clears throat> you but you will do a lot of shit talking on that one. <laughs> I can get Jane and I can get you. I can't get John. Really? 
Yep. I could probably get I, matter of fact, uh, Cody Jansen <clears throat> asked me one time, same thing. And I called John and said, you want to do this with me? And I, I called him, I called him a couple of curse words and, uh, he said, I'll do it. I said, by God, you better do it. He goes, I'll do it if you do it. I said, well, let's do it. So, so we're supposed to do one and I'm sure we'll do one with you too. I, I, we, I can get him. Well, you, you, you get him and it's a moment's notice. I'll be freaking hooking it up. Um, All right. because Shane is always a, a, a shit talker. Uh, oh yeah. Language. Oh, he just, he ain't changed a bit. No, he's so he don't funny. Look, he don't look no different. No. And he still talks the same too. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, it, it it's pretty amazing. You know, I'm old and gray and broken. And some of you guys just look the same. <laughs> well, some of them, some of them do. I, I'm getting a little heavier, but yeah, it's uh some well, of them do they, they they've aged well. Joe, you're a big guy. So it's it you are going to change when you were racing, you were super thin. You you had to be that way to even compete with yeah, them because of your size. And I'm still, I'm still too heavy. I was always 205 or 10 pounds at my lightest, you know? Right. So, you know, that was too, my height, I was too skinny, but for racing, I had to be that way. So and that goes back to this whole episode of training. You know, you gotta, you gotta learn what to eat. You know, you gotta eat a lot of chicken and, and load up on pasta for the race and stay away from red meats and salts and sugars and, no energy drinks and you know it's a lot of water and, and uh you know there, there is some um like Cytomax cyclist drinks that work pretty good but you know i i drink pyrate zero or sometimes gatorade zero or and i use i drink that Cytomax a lot and a lot a lot of water 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 but stay away from anything fermented pickles and beer and anything like that it causes arm pump so there's a lot that goes into training and you need to learn your body get that blood work done and eat you know, you can't, you're going to eat a lot of chicken, a lot of grilled chicken. That's for, that's for dang sure. You just brought something else up. Do you see the young guys drinking energy drinks? I do. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And that's terrible for you. You know, they're putting all this money in their machines and race gas and their race bikes. And they're putting, you know, 87 octane in their bellies, you know, all those junky ass energy drinks, garbage. It's just garbage. What do you think it does to their blood? What well, spikes it? spike it's just sugar i mean it's just spiking it it's causing arm pump it's causing anxiety and they're getting that they're, they're hitting the rev and ding, 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 you know and so it's 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 just a negative effect yeah i can i can attest to that because i've drank a few yeah. energy drinks in my day well now everybody has but it's just it's not good for racing not not good for your system it's just it's just putting junk in your body you definitely don't need to drink that stuff you know if you need to feel that i mean you, you'd be better off put a drink you don't spoonful of sugar <laughs> than that mess all that taurine and all that mess they got in those energy drinks most of all these guys at supercross they ain't drinking that drink whenever they're on a podium they got water in those things yep well did you know why well, you probably do know this monster and red bull and all of them have water they they make uh the the sealed cans so when you see them pop a red bull it's water inside yeah. for the for the athletes you know yeah, it's all about the money Mark. yeah you yeah that's your stuff you know you got you got to take care of your body, man. That's that's the number one thing. These young ones, they want to eat McDonald's or you know all this extra bread. You don't need all this bread in your system. All this red meat and pizza and you know chicken nuggets and all this whoa, whoa, stuff. Whoa. You know, we can't have pizza. Well, not as an athlete, you can have it. That's oh, your wait. Sunday cheat on the way home. <laughs> Come on now, dude. I love no, pizza. You, you and I can have pizza, but we ain't athletes <laughs> no more. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, don't tell my wife that I can have pizza because she's okay, got me on pizza and beer. Pizza and beer is a good combination for you. <laughs> I don't. I can't drink. I can't drink. I don't, I don't drink beer at all. I hate beer. I haven't drank 
I haven't had any alcohol in 22 years. Oh, wow. Um, I hope I can say that here soon. <laughs> well, I crashed on a motorcycle Super Bowl weekend in 99. Oh, geez. And uh, got a super bad concussion, you know, been to the neurologist and the residual, the, the, the thing that I'm, that I know of is I have an intolerance for alcohol. When I drink alcohol, I get like a migraine and I get mm. sick and I can't, uh, I can't function. Well, that's good. I mean, if you're not, if you're not doing anything for you, I drink it. So yeah, just making me mean. That's all it did. It made me mean. <laughs> all right. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't the lover guy, you know? Hey, I'll tell you something else. I know we got to go on this one, but uh, we ought to do a, a bike setup conversation, you know, sometime. I like to do the John and Charlie Shane hit one, so that'd be a fun, funny conversation. We talk a bunch of smack, but maybe a bike setup one, you know, uh, what, what we think we'll do works versus motocross and and tt racing and cash or camera tow in ride height and what ride height split does for the machine and higher front ends and lower front ends and you know all that stuff and a lot of these guys have no clue of how to set up a machine and you know when you raise the bike you give it more or less traction when you lower the bike more or less traction when you make it wider or narrower all this kind of stuff that i think um that i teach in my schools but i think it'd be kind of cool to do on air and, and obviously i can plug my schools but i'd like to I'd like to share that with a lot of people because a lot of people do the wrong things and 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 buy the wrong products and and they waste a lot of time and money and people get hurt because they don't know how to set up a machine. I totally believe that a hundred percent. One of the biggest things that that I can contribute to that portion of the conversation is they're not going to the professionals that know. They're going to the the person right. that has the cheapest price. And I'm right. Sorry, I see that a lot. The guy with the cheapest price is not telling you the right thing. Um, th there's oh. seasoned professionals in our industry that know, and they charge the prices they yeah. charge because they know how much time it takes. They know how hard it is. And, and this is what you need to follow these people. Um, exactly. I mean, that's why my school costs what it costs. I mean, you got these other guys without naming names that are charging 200 bucks for five hours or 75 bucks for an hour. You can't teach somebody in two or three hours. And what are you going to teach them? You, you never want to race in your life. <laughs> what are you talking about? So some of these guys out there, they're, they're just, I'm like, they're whoring their stuff out just to make a quick buck. And they don't even know what the hell they're doing. Right. I agree with you. And I agree that I need to be a better teacher um, because I can guarantee you there's things I can learn about what I know in my head and bringing it from my head to my mouth. You know. Right. Well, you're never too good to learn. If, if it's nothing else, learning how to relate and, and speak teach somebody how to do something, not just show them how to do it. So that's something that, you know, I, it took me several years to do. I got a whole new respect for my school teachers, you know, so learning how to relate with people and how to read people when they're not getting it and, and just, okay, let's go to something else. We'll come back to this. You know, a lot of little things that you'll, you know, the, the more you do it, the, the more you'll learn yourself. Right. And like I said, you're, I still learn something all the time, whenever I teach. So. Well, I was teaching my son how to be a mechanic. And fortunately, he went into the health industry. And my grandson has great mechanical aptitude. And I'm trying to get it so that I work with him a couple of days a month or more um, to teach him how to use the tools. He's only eight. And the kid has incredible tool knowledge, not what the tool is, but when you put it in his hand, he already knows how to use it. Well, that's good. And, 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 Nobody's taught him. It's just a natural thing. So, uh, you know, using the right tools, you know, 
most people were, are going to scoff at this, but if you put your machine together without a factory manual and without a torque wrench, you did it wrong. Right. You know, just point blank did it wrong. And hey, trust me, it, you well know this as well as I do. We did it without those tools for a long time in our industry sure. uh, because we thought we knew better. And no, those yeah. torque specs are your friend. You know? And they are, because if you don't do that, then you start stretching those threads out and the frame out, everything next, you know, you're over torquing it. And now you're switching it working right. You're so shit's binding up or whatever, you know? So it, you're right. It's there for a reason. And, and, and if the bike will work better, if you do it by spec. Exactly. Exactly. I would never let my mechanic put a machine together with uh, an impact. He always had to put it together by hand. He could take it apart with an impact or, you know, air tools, whatever, but putting it back together, it better be by hand. I start 80% of the bolts with my impacts and then I go back and torque everything. Yeah. You know, and, and when I was talking about how it goes together, like when you set a set of a arms in the frame, if it's not smooth, figure out why there's a burr, yeah. there's a build up right. powder coat The you know, something's not right. Figure it out. Right. You know? And uh, yeah, all my mechanics, I would, I would teach them all that and make sure that, one little thing they had to do because we'd have very little time between motos is I don't care if one of my first mechanics, Todd Shue or Chris Delegard, or my last and longest mechanic, Bill Mickey, I need that motor out of my hand in, within 10 minutes. And most, most of them, my, my Bill would get it out. I think his best time was like four and a half, five minutes. I'd come in, he'd have that motor sitting on the ground like five minutes. That's freaking incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's freaking yep. a lot of... I mean, I'm pretty fast, but I don't think I could do it that fast. Well, don't get me wrong. It's a mess. I mean, you because you can't time time to drain antifreeze properly and drain the oil. He just zip, 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 and just jerked it. Just had a heat glove, you know, the little wire heat gloves on so he could touch the pipe and everything. And he would always get it out. I think his best time is four and a half, five minutes. He always got it under 10 minutes. But, yeah, he was pretty darn fast. That's incredible. Yeah, he's pretty impressive. And then cleaning up the mess afterwards probably took an hour. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so we take it apart and put the new engine right back in there, and then you get it all going. Then he start making sure everything was ready. He change the filters and all that, you know, check everything out. But if you ain't got an engine, you ain't racing. So we don't have about an hour between motos. You guys did an an engine, an engine swap every rip moto. No, not every moto. No, we usually go to the race. Like we come home, take the bike down to the frame. I get it. I only I only race the bike two or three times. That's it. And so in between races we put brand new chains and sprockets and wheels and tires and axle and cables and clutches and piston and rings and valves and every race i mean every race we replace most of the engine and most of the parts and every moto we put brand new tires on brand new clutches on and change the oil so but you don't that ain't much time you know but we don't only put like i said two or three races total on that bike no practice sessions on nothing wow that's incredible yeah I that's where that's where having a factory help really help. You just had just buttloads of parts, bikes, and just, you know, you never had anything used. That's freaking awesome. That's super yep. awesome. Yeah, I still got a brand new engine sitting down there right now. I, I meant to show you a while ago. Brand new engine, never been touched. You need to ship that to me. <laughs> I want to I want to say thank you very much um, for coming on ATV Talk. And we'll uh, we'll definitely set those other two episodes up and do that. Yeah, I can't wait. We need to get John on, John and Shane on the line, and we'll talk about bike setup one time. All right. Have a good night. All right, you too, brother. 
The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.